Well, welcome to Ascent, you guys. I am Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. If you um, were thinking about which service to come to of the two uh, that we had today, you came to the right one. The last one, half our power went out. So we were, we were up here without half the power. Poor Jeff had numerous keys. I mean, it was... It was but we made it because you know what? Jesus is risen. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter today. And so if the power goes out again, that's all right. We'll just keep right on rolling. You all look very good today. I was told that my, my new jacket looks pink um, online. And that's okay because uh, if it looks pink, on, it looks more like what Don Johnson would wear. And that was my idol in the 80s. So... Uh, so this is good. It is so good to, to, to be celebrating Easter with all of you. Look, here's what I want to do first. I want us all to take one deep breath. Not yet. We'll do it all together. And we'll go hold it for a second, and then we're going to exhale. Okay? We're going to do that. Now, if you don't do it, I, I will see you, and I'll bring you up here in front. So, so let's all do that together. So everyone, let's just take one deep breath. Hold it. Let it out. Have you ever thought about how good it is to just be alive? <laughs> that you'd wake up in the morning and you just go, man, I've got a breath in my lungs. Have you ever actually thought about that? Have you ever started your morning and just gone, in, instead of scrolling through Facebook to begin with, or starting your to-do list, or your, you go downstairs to get lunches ready for your kids, or whatever you've got to do, have you ever just started just going, I have breath in my lungs today and I'm going to thank the Lord just for that? Because that might be the greatest victory I'll get today, and I need that. Have you ever done that? Okay, let's go back 2,000 years. Let's go back to a tomb. Let's go back to that breath that Jesus breathed for the very first time coming out of that tomb. So, so he dies on the cross, and Joseph Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, they pull him off the cross. And then when they get him off the cross, they get him into this tomb. And on Friday night, he's in that tomb, dead in that tomb. And on Saturday, he's still in that tomb. And on Sunday, the, the, the stone is rolled away. A little bit of light might have shown in there. Jesus sits up, and he takes that deep breath. You can picture what it was like for him to just take it in, breathe it out. Life. Life. You know, you can picture it. How thankful was he in that moment? He walks out of the tomb, and I think it's the Catholic in me, the Catholic background that I've got, that I picture him walking out of the tomb, and he's just got his hands folded, and he's walking like an altar boy, you know, because that's the way we did. And, and you could, I picture that, but then you just go, come on, this is real, and Jesus was real. I picture him now stepping out of that tomb and looking back at it and just going, see, death didn't win. I mean, nobody else is there yet, but I can picture him just going, death did not win. And I can picture him saying, you know what else didn't win? The sin, the, the weight of the sin of the world, it didn't win. Man, it was heavy, but it didn't win. Man, I can sit, picture him right there just going, victory. This is victory right here, and I can't wait to show everybody else this victory. Now put yourself in there too. See, if I'm standing there with Jesus, I could picture him putting his arm around me and I could picture him saying, Bill, here's what I need you to grab hold of today. I need you to know this. That death, that death is not going to win. In your life, it's not going to win. I picture him having his arm around me and him saying, and you know what else isn't going to win? All of that weight you carry around the sin in your life. 
All those things that you have carried, the, the, the regrets you've had, the shame you've had, the guilt you've had, the things you have done, the things you are doing, the things you will do. You need to know something. All those things that make you feel and, and you sense that you're more and more separated from this perfect God and you feel as separated as you get in this moment, it's not, it's, not, it's not just that it gradually comes back. You are back, a perfect God, an imperfect person, and now all of a sudden we have a perfect relationship, and it's because of Jesus' death on the cross, and it's because he conquered it and rose from the grave. That, that's, that's Easter. Now, if I'm standing there with him, I'm asking him. I'm just going, Jesus, I don't get it. Me, I'm just a speck, one of a billion-some people. What, me? Over 2,000 years, me? You did that for me? Why? And I think Jesus would say the same thing he said to Nicodemus years before. He would, he would say the first four words of the most quoted passage of Scripture that's ever been quoted. He would say, for God so loved for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes that he did conquer the grave, whoever believes that he was the son of God, whoever believes that he did take sin with him, whoever believes that will not perish, will not die that death separated, but have eternal life, life now and life for eternity. What I love about that passage, the word that I love the most about that passage is just two letters. So, he so loved us. When John wrote that down, when Jesus said that to Nicodemus, man, he was stressing something there. He wasn't just saying, I kind of like the world. I love it because it's my creation, but I don't really like the people. He says, I so, he so loved you and me. If you got nothing else out of Easter, nothing else, if you go home, man, just write S-O someplace and remember, he so loved loves you. And this whole thing, the, the, the resurrection, the cross, man, this is his great act of love. Earl Palmer was our pastor in Seattle when I was in those formative years of my faith, and he said, don't ever think of love just as an emotion or just as a feeling. Jesus made it an action, and this is the greatest single act we've ever seen. This is his love shown for us through that death on the cross and that resurrection. And that's what we celebrate today. Now, if you're at all like me, we've needed some celebrating. <laughs> if you're at all like me and you've gone through the stuff that we've all gone through over the last three months or so, especially those in these, these neighborhoods of Louisville and Superior, we have needed something to celebrate. It has been an exhausting, it's been, it, for a lot of us, it, we feel buried feel buried under the, the remediation of, of smoke damage, the buried under the, the, the destruction that we, we see every single day, buried under trying to explain that to your children, buried under your memories for some of us, literally buried under the ashes. For those of you guys that don't know, I was one of the, we were one of the families that lost our home in the fire, and, and so we've been buried, buried under all that. And, and I drive back to my house and every once in a while, and I've got a shovel in the back of my truck, and, and, I, and, I, and I'll 
I'll just bring the shovel out to my yard and, 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 and just start digging through something. I'll dig through the garage or I'll dig through the crawl space or something that's left in this hole. We call it our house hole. And, and it's in, in the hole, we'll dig through it, just looking for something. I mean, I, the other day I finally just said, you know what, Bill? I just did a love actually moment where I'm just going, enough enough you know and so because I have to I have to at some point just stop doing that bit looking for treasures in the midst of, of of digging this last time I found this little rusted out bell from a Christmas decoration and I picked it up and, and it was a total polar express moment I rang it just going just believe just believe you know and it didn't work. Nothing really changed. Santa didn't come. Nothing happened. It just, you know, so, so I'm, we're digging through the stuff. And I look over and I see our daffodils and they're growing out of the midst of all this stuff. This is our daffodils. Then out of all that stuff, it's, isn't it funny how you work like crazy to try to get your flowers to grow and they don't, but then <laughs> this happens. It's like, there they are. <laughs> You know, and of course, you know, in the past, if it did bloom, snow would come the next day and kill it all. But today it just stayed there. And I looked at it and I just thought, man, hope. There's, it, just, it just was like this, this little bit of life and hope in all of kind of the destruction that I was standing in. It was a little bit of, of, of uh, just this, this shot of rebuild. It's, it's a shot of, of it's a new creation in the, in the ugliness of what we were, we were standing in. And I, obviously, I couldn't help but think of Easter. I couldn't help but think of, of this day and, and buried in the ashes and buried in, in, in all of it. And here comes hope that's coming through Jesus. I couldn't help but think of this day where here comes, here comes new birth. Here comes a new creation for, the, for us. That's what he says. It's, it's a new creation. Paul, Paul says this. He says, he, says, uh, he says, so if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new because of what Jesus did. And so, of course, when you look at that, you're thinking that's, that's the hope that we need right now. That's the victory that a lot of us need to claim right now. But here's what's weird about what that picture that I took of those daffodils. The picture is, is like this. In the backdrop is all the destruction, is all the disappointment, is all the, the sadness. And believe me, there's a lot of it there. In fact, I brought, this, I brought this up here today just to show you something else I pulled out of there. Do you guys know what, can anybody tell me what this is? Because that's part of what happens when you dig through the stuff. You're going, what was this? Oh, I know what that was, you know. This is my Christmas tree. I know. It's, it's a 12-foot high Christmas tree. And on it was ornaments that my parents had made for us every single year. They would make each one of our kids, whatever they would go through in their life that year, they'd make an ornament that would, that would, that would celebrate that. And so four kids, it was all of their ornaments every single year, one for me, one for Jackie. Jackie and I would buy one. Jackie's parents would probably buy one. We were putting 10 ornaments on there a year. So over 20 years, that's a couple hundred ornaments. And they were on this, they were on this tree. I mean, there were there was an ornament of Jack's first football game that I took him to. It was a Bronco game at, back at Old Mile High Stadium. It was a cold day. They, they laminated the ticket. It was Broncos versus Seahawks. And the Seahawks killed them. And it was beautiful. And, they, and, it was, and we had a Seahawk helmet on there too. And, and 
You know, as it turns out, laminated stuff doesn't, doesn't survive a fire. It just doesn't. And, and so we lost, we lost all of that. And so there's a lot of loss and destruction that sits in the background of hope, in the background of, of, of this new creation. And what I love about that is, to me, I think that just, that just enhances this statement of God's love. Because if any of you guys have been married for any length of time, you know, you know, it's not all daffodils all the time. You know there's also disappointment, there's hurt, there's pain, there's things that you've done that you've really messed up for, for, on the other person. I mean, there's all of that. And in the midst of it, there's still this love that is blooming out of that. And that's what I love about this, the Easter story, that in the backdrop of the cross and the pain is this love that just, that, that comes right through it. And, and I just think that's, we got to remember that in our lives of all the things that we go through. Man, this isn't just, let's just all, all find daffodils. It's that God's love emerges out of all of it. And that's the beauty of his love. Now, now, as I was as I was thinking through this and through this story and through this through Easter, and I you know when I when I'm preaching, man, I'll sit on this for like a month and I'll it'll it'll just be riding on me the different things that God might be laying on me to do. And for me, I for this one, as I sat there, I thought, okay, I want to talk about that love, but then I thought. But everyone, and lots of people have heard that, and they'll walk out of here going, okay, yeah, God loves us. I, I, you know, I, I got that. But I started thinking more about that, and I started thinking, what is it about that love that is so stinking compelling? What is it about that love that would make hundreds of people come into an old Sam's Club on a, a 2,000 years later and worship him? What is it about that love that would, that would take this 19-year-old punk college student that's sitting there, all, that all he wanted to do was go to Wall Street and make a million bucks and find a great wife, and that's my only quest in life that I had. What in the world made me, compelled me to actually turn and recognize God in my life? You know, because I, like I said, I grew up Catholic and, and, and I wasn't seeking that out. I was checking the box that I was going to church. That's all I was doing. And, and so then when I came to the University of Washington, I wasn't seeking out God. So what was it that, that compels, what is it that compels us towards this love? That's what I want to sit in a little bit today with, it, it, with Easter, because in the end, let's just not just say that he loves us, but let's, let's think more about what is it that's drawing you to it, that love. Okay, I thought, I, I, I wrote this stuff down and I'm taking some notes and I just thought, I just started thinking of two or three things that I just thought, no, this is, this is what's compelled me. This is just me. This is my story. It's what compelled me to Jesus. The first one that I wrote down was this is a love that pursues us. It's not just, it's not just me finding Jesus. I wasn't sitting there at UW looking for him. I didn't go in there going, man, where can I find him? It's a love that's pursuing us. The hounds of heaven are going after us. God's pursuing you and me all the time. It says this in Revelation chapter 3. It says, it says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come and eat with you and you with me. He's saying, I'm standing there knocking. I am pursuing you. I am in a constant pursuit of you. Will you answer the door? 
For me in my life, I like thinking about it a little bit differently than that. I like thinking about it with this sound. You know what that is? It's when you're turning on that stove and it's trying to light. Play it one more time. You turn. See, I believe God's pursuing us. And he was pursuing me from, from going to that Catholic church growing up. And the light was start, trying, to, it was starting. It was going. But I didn't hear it. At University of Washington, I, it, was, it was going and I wasn't even looking for it. I didn't want to find it. It was going when I went on that mission trip to Merida, Mexico with a group of college students because me and my girlfriend wanted to see Mexico. That was the only reason we went. And it was going. And I wasn't getting it. I'd sit on the, in the carpet floor of a gymnasium at the University of Washington at University Press Church where Denny Ryberg was preaching to us every Tuesday night. And he was telling us about this love and I'm starting to hear it. I'm starting to hear it but I'm still not responding. And then I go on a walk with my, a new girlfriend. We, our old girlfriend broke up after that mission trip. And a new girlfriend, her name was Jackie Sylvie at the time, goes on a walk with me and we sit in front of her Chi Omega sorority and I asked her, I said, I don't get this love thing that Denny's talking about. I'm not worthy of that love. And she said, that's what's so beautiful about it. Nobody's worthy of it, but we still get it anyway. And I started putting pieces together. It's a crazy love. It's a limitless love. It's a love that has no condition. And I started to say, I, I want to know more about that love. And that's all it takes. And that light starts to burn. And that becomes a new center of reference. And you're compelled because of that kind of love. And and ever since then, that's what it has been. And it had to, I mean, yes, did it lead me to be a pastor? Yes, but I, even if I wasn't and I was doing anything else, it's a new center of reference that I had. See, God is, is pursuing us. Started right, I wrote that down. I'm just going, man, it's that kind of love. And that, that compels us towards him. The second one I wrote down was a different one. The second one I wrote down was, was, was I was thinking more about the fact that, that it's so much easier to love somebody if you like them. And to be dead honest with you, I know it's going to sound weird coming from a pastor on Easter Sunday, but I don't know if I liked Jesus. I didn't know if I liked him. My impression of Jesus was boring. My impression of Jesus was he was a little wimpy that he'd turn the other cheek all the time. My impression of Jesus was not one that compelled me towards him. But then I started to get to know his character more. And what I call this one, is this a lion and a lamb love? Because they start, you start to realize, man, this guy is a lion and this guy is a lamb and I am desperately in need of both and I really like both things about him. He's a lion and he's a lamb. A good friend of mine, Doug Weckerman, that used to work here a long time ago, he's at Red Rocks now and he was preaching about this and I'm just going, Doug, that's so right on. He's a lion and a lamb where, where, where he comes out with, there's this woman that's caught in adultery and, and they pull her out of this tent and, she, and they're going to stone her to death. And, and, and that, was, that was what would happen if you were caught in adultery is they'd stone you to death. And so these guys are picking up these stones ready to throw them at her and Jesus comes up and he comes right down next to her and he cradles her in a, in a sense and, he's going, and, he, and he extends dignity to her and he extends great compassion to her. And if the guys start throwing the rocks, He'll take that on himself. That's the lamb. 
They would be willing to be sacrificed for us with great compassion. But then he also stands up and he says, whoever hasn't sinned, you cast the first stone. And that is the lion. And that woman that's sitting there is compelled by that. Who is this guy that both extended great compassion and then stood up to all those people that we're afraid of? And that's, the re- that's, that's what happens at the cross and the resurrection. The, that man that took the cat and nine tails on his back and the crown of thorns on his head and the nails through his hands and feet, that's the Lamb of God that says, God, why, why have you forsaken me? That cries in the garden of Gethsemane. That's the Lamb of God that was slain. This comes from Revelations chapter 5 where it says, it says the lion from the tribe of Judah has won the victory. Then I saw a lamb standing in the center and the lamb looked like it had been killed. He is both the lion and the lamb because while he was the, the lamb that was slain, he was also the lion that said to his disciples, the Romans are coming, let's go take care of this. Let's go do this. He was the lion that took on all that pain. He was the lion that took on our sin. He was the lion that took on death. And we gravitate to that because we need it. We need a lion in our life and we need a lamb in our life. And he is really good at both. And that, that, that compels us towards that love. Now, look, I got a couple more that I want to talk about, but before I do, all of us have different thoughts around our, what compels us. Or, or those, of you, those of you that, that would say that you are following Jesus, you have what compels you towards him. And so I thought, it's not just my story, it's all of our story. And what I did is I asked my good friend Lisa Kyle to share her story, to share her story of what, what has compelled her towards this beautiful love that God is offering to her that's manifested through the cross and the resurrection on this Easter Sunday. This is Lisa's story. Hi, I'm Lisa. I didn't grow up in the church, but for me, it was really uh, something I could wrap my mind around that God did exist. I watched a lot of Little House on the Prairie episodes, and they always had God at the beginning, middle, and end. They had these situations in every episode that was challenging, unimaginable, scary, and they gathered together and prayed, and they would meet together in church, and at the end of it, it was all wrapped up in a bow. And there was a room in my childhood home that had a Bible and it was this white leather, gold-trimmed Bible, and it had the word Holy Bible and this really McDreamy picture on the front of it. And I knew it was really sacred because no one touched it, but it was very present. And throughout my childhood, I had been adopted, and into this home there was a lot of abuse and neglect. And so as my circumstances continued to evolve, I recognized there should be more to life than what I'm experiencing. And at the age of 11, I found myself in foster care. And for the next couple years, I was just bouncing around, just surviving, surviving my past, trying to live for today. And who knows what my future was like. But as I came to my uh, foster home at 14, almost 15, they sat down with me and they shared their, uh, their heart for me. And they said, that, you know, there's going to be opportunities to do conflict resolution. There's a honeymoon period. And um, when that's over, we'll sit down and talk more. And they gave me house key and lip gloss, because when you're in foster care, you literally arrive with the clothes on your back. You have nothing else. And they said, we do want you to join us at church. And I was like, that is easy for me to say yes to. So we started going to church, and I loved it. I loved walking in the doors. Everything about it seemed very, very safe for me. 
couple years later, some friends of mine from high school invited me to their church, and they were taking a trip down to Mexico to build houses and play with kids. And I was so excited to expand my world and get down there. So we traveled there, and the week was fantastic. And on my way back, I was profoundly impacted by the question, who is Jesus to me? And I was scared, and I'd been spending my whole life just surviving and sort of compartmentalizing my past and my present, and again, not knowing my future. But I wanted to say yes to Jesus so badly, and I kept pulling back the layers, and so I said yes. And for the next couple years, I was just giddy for Jesus. I felt like I just fell in love with him, and I was going through life, and it was just a, such a special time. But a few years later, as I was in college, my past caught up with me. And I was illiterate, and I was academically dismissed. I was embarrassed for my failures and my faults, and I was struggling with anger, and I was just writing down some thoughts, and I was completely overwhelmed with the responsibility I had to go, how do I reconcile this? And so I realized um, I needed to forgive my past and accept it. And so I jotted down a bunch of notes. I went to the phone, dialed the number that I've known since I was, I could remember a childhood number, and I called, and my abuser answered the phone. And it was messy, but I said, I'm gonna read this letter, and I don't want any response, but I know it's something I need to do. So I went through the letter saying about how, you know, there were so many years I that I was unsafe and unprotected and abused, and you've never asked for forgiveness, and the consequences were so heavy on my life. I've had to have strangers take care of me, and I've been alone and abandoned. And I said, but a couple years ago, I accepted Jesus, and I accepted the forgiveness, and I know that I can now extend forgiveness to you, the unforgivable and the unimaginable. I wanted to extend the love of Jesus to this person. And so that's what happened. And that day, I dropped the phone down and hung up, and I felt like that was my first moment. I really experienced the depth of Jesus' love, his love to do something that allowed me the freedom to go above the circumstances of my life. So my life is not like an episode of Little House in the Prairie where it wraps up in a small little beautiful bow. There's a continuation, and in that journey, every single day, I walk in Christ's love. I grow through the hard things, and I experience new challenges, and I'm grateful for that because in a world that's unsure and uncertain, I've got something that I can build my life on, and that's the love of Jesus. Thank you. Courageous. Thank you. Um, the, the, what, the third one that I wrote down was just what Lisa's talking about. It's an all-encompassing love. It's not just one little thing. It's not one, spot, one part of your life. It's not one, one thing that might, you might have addressed. It's an all-encompassing love. I, I was sitting there looking at this, this Bible, um, and I'm just going... This Bible is filled with 66 love letters. It's 66 books of the Bible. It's 66 love letters that God has written to us about his entire character, about all of who he is and, 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 and that kind of love that he so loves us with. It's written in these love letters. And I think back when Jackie and I were dating and I'm, at, I'm in, a, in the projects in Philly and Jackie is in Seattle and, 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 and we're writing love letters to each other. 
And I sit down, and it's late at night, and I take out this little notebook, and I start writing to her, and man, I am writing and writing and writing. And you get to like four pages in, and you're going, oh, this is going to impress her to go to five, you know? So you just keep on going. You're right. You're just pouring out your heart. You're pouring out your heart to her. And, and, and th- those, were the, those were the love letters. Now, here's what you did. For any of you guys that are under the age of 40 and have never heard of, of writing a letter, and here's what you do. You would fold it, and then you'd stick it in what we called an envelope, okay? And then, and then when you put it in that envelope, then you would take this thing we call the stamp and, and um, you'd lick it. It's weird, you know? You'd lick the stamp. And you'd lick it, and you probably licked it too much, and so you'd stick it on there, and it'd start to slide a little bit, and so now you need another one. So now you're up to 48 cents in, this, in, in sending this thing out. And so you're, you're sitting, putting that second stamp on there, and then you mail it, and then here's a weird thing about it. You wait like four days, and then she finally gets it, and then she reads it. And then she writes one back. That's the way it went with these love letters that we would write back to each other. Man, I would, I would love to read one of those to you guys today, but I lost it in the fire, so I, so I can't. Now, wait, wait, wait. Now, you see, you guys, you missed your cue. When I say I lost something in the fire, I expect just a really big, oh, with that, okay? So let's, let's do that again. So, so I, um, I was going to read one of those to you, but I lost it in the fire, Yes. Okay. Gosh, I feel it. Such compassion from all of you guys. So great. Um, but I did, and I wouldn't have read them to you. They were way too steamy to read them to you guys. Uh, but but God, God has given us 66 love letters. He's given us 66 books that say he's pouring out his love and his character to us. Some of you guys might have put this down. Some of you maybe have given up on this. Some of you maybe didn't understand this. Some of you have gotten bored with it. Some of you have never had this and never even opened it before. Let me tell you a little bit of what it says in there. Just summarizing a few of of these love letters. He says, no matter what you've done, God is not counting sin against you because he loves you. He says, when you call me, I will answer. And when you seek me with your heart, you will find me. He says, he's anxious to be found by you. That's resurrection love. He says he will love us with an everlasting love and that nothing can change that. It says when we are hurt, he's hurting with us. He says he will give light in the darkness and he'll give hope for the hopeless. That's daffodil love with a backdrop of pain. He says he will come to give us abundant life. It says in these pages, in these love letters, that you come just as you are. He says he will love us with, our, with all our hurt and failure and doubt. It says we will find freedom from fear and guilt and shame, and you will experience a love that will cast out fears. All of these things are manifested. Every single love letter that's in this book all focuses and points to one thing, the resurrection of Jesus. It says, you will, it says you will experience a love that will cast out fear and a peace that will pass understanding and a joy that no one will take away. It says he will care for us and that he loves us with all of his heart. And he actually says this, nothing, nothing will separate us from that love. Paul writes about this in Romans, that I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Jesus Christ our Lord. That resurrection love is an all-encompassing love that draws us to him, 
that compels us to him. Man, it's what you're going through, he knows. And he walks with us in it. I wrote one more thing down, okay? And then you guys can go off and do your Easter, look for Easter eggs and go pet the bunnies. But I got one more thing, okay? This last one is that it's a love that will go the distance. Jesus so many times could have cut this short, could have just said, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not going all the way to the cross, but he went the distance for us. When my daughter Maggie was a sophomore in high school, she was in, a, she was in the Monarch Choir, and she was, gonna do a, she was doing a choir concert in, in uh, Grand Junction, and so she, they jumped on the bus, and they're heading to Grand Junction. Well, I get a call here at work. I get a call from her about halfway through, and she says, Dad! And I said, what? And she goes, I forgot my choir dress. And I did what dads do. I said, Maggie, you only had one thing to remember. <laughs> you dads, that's not helpful. In those moments, that is not a helpful next thing to say. I said, where is it? And she said, it's hanging on my, on my door of my bedroom. I just walked right by it. I didn't take it. And I said, I said, are you guys going to stop between now and Grand Junction? She said, I think we're going to stop in Glenwood Springs to go to the pool. And I said, Maggie, I'll see you in Glenwood Springs. And so I, so I hung up the phone and I was about to walk out of here, and another staff person stopped me. She said, hey, I overheard that conversation. She said, Bill, don't you think this is a great opportunity to teach her a lesson of responsibility and just have her wear sweats in front with everybody else wearing their dress? Ruthless, right? <laughs> you know? I'm like, I said, that would be a good lesson. But I think a better lesson would be to tell her right now, your dad is going to go to the very, very end for you. Your dad will go all the way. He, your dad will go as far as you need him to go because he loves you that much. That's the lesson I really, really wanted to tell her. And so I got into that car and I drove across the state and I handed her the dress and it took about 30 seconds and then I drove across the state back. Because I wanted her to hear that. I wanted her to know that, that when, she, when she's in college and some dude is mistreating her in college, I want her to know that her dad would go the distance and he'll be there for her. And first he'll have some, have some words with this dude and then he will be there for you. I want her to know that, <laughs> I want her to know that when she's 23 and she's drunk in a bar in Boulder, <laughs> drunk in a bar in Boulder, and she calls me at 2.30 in the morning because she doesn't want to pay for an Uber and she shouldn't be driving. And even if I have to preach the next morning, this is a hypothetical. <laughs> I'm sorry, Max. <laughs> that I would be there without hesitation, that I would go the distance for her. It's, it's, I just couldn't wait to tell her that when I brought that dress to her across the state. Jesus had every opportunity to cut this one short. He, did, he wasn't even going to go when he, he could have stopped before he started when his ministry first got going. And Satan tempted him in the wilderness. People are going, I don't understand what Satan was doing, tempting him in the wilderness. And yeah, the band, you guys can come on up. He's, Satan's tempting him in the wilderness 
And the only thing Satan was trying to do is keep him from going to the cross. That was the temptation, to keep him from going to the cross because he knew if he goes to the cross and he, and he, and he conquers death and he conquers sin, that separation, that that's the adversary just wants separation, that separation is no longer there and Satan loses and the victory is won. And so he is trying like crazy to keep him from doing that and tempting him to keep him from doing that. And Jesus says, no, I'm going. And he gets in the car and he starts driving. Now he could have stopped at Idaho Springs and said, no, 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 the, the, the religious leaders are against me. My disciples don't believe in me. He could have stopped right there. And he said, no, I'm going to keep going. He could have stopped. He could have gone through the Eisenhower Tunnel and gone down to Silverthorne, and he could have just taken a U-turn, gone right back up that ridiculous hill and come right back to Denver. He could have looked ahead 2,000 years and said, these guys, they're going to still make a bunch of mistakes. They're still going to turn their back on me. They're not going to pray as much as they probably should. They're not going to go to church as much as they probably should. They're not going to read these love letters as much as they probably should. I don't think this is worth it. He could have easily said that, but instead, no, he, he did something different. He said, I'm going. I'm going the distance. I'm going all the way to the grave. I'm going all the way. And I'm going to conquer that death because I love them that much. You know, two things that I got out of that in the end, two things. One of them was on my way to take, to take that dress to Maggie. I, normally I would be so frustrated just going, what am I doing? What a waste of the day. And instead I could not wait to get there because I couldn't wait to tell her this. I couldn't wait to say that this is what's going to, this is the lesson that I want you to know for the rest of your life. I couldn't wait to tell her that. And so I drove with a smile on my face going, this is going to be the greatest sermon that I'll get to preach to my daughter, that I'll get to, that I'm going to be there for her. And I just think of Jesus throughout his ministry and how much he could not wait to tell this part. The best sermon that he will tell is when he conquers that death. And, I, and, and even as he got closer and he's standing there with his disciples and he's washing their feet in the last week, I can just picture him just going, I can't wait to give you one last great sermon of my love. And then the other thing from that time with Maggie is, I, is as I'm driving there to get to her, I, I, had, I was thinking, what does she owe me in response? What does she owe me? That's what I was thinking. I had a long time to think about that. And I thought, here's what I'm going to ask of her. And so when I got there and I handed the dress, I said, Maggie, here's what I need you to do. For one full year, you need to give me a kiss on the cheek anytime I ask it. I said, I don't care where I'm at. If I'm picking you up from school and your friends are all around you, I'm going to come up to you. I'm going to say, give me a kiss on the cheek, Maggie. And she had to do it, and she did, and it was glorious. It was a beautiful year. Every time, we'd be sleeping. Jackie and I would be going to bed, and before I'd go to bed, I'd go, Maggie, give me a kiss on the cheek. It was beautiful because I just wanted to, to just in some sort of small way just reciprocate just a little bit. And Jesus is just going, man, I've poured out my love on you guys. I just want you to love me back. And you might not even know what that fully means, but that's okay because I'll keep pursuing you and I'll keep telling you what it means. But I just want you to love me back and let's go on that journey together. It's Easter Sunday. He has risen. He has risen because he so loves you and me. Are we compelled enough to love him back?
For some of you, you have been hearing this for a long time. Today might be that day that you finally say, okay, okay, I'm gonna respond. If that's the case for you today, we're gonna have some people up here in front at the end of the service and you're welcome to come on up. It's be courageous and do this. I know you didn't come here expecting that, but I didn't go to that I didn't go on that walk with Jackie and expect that either. He's getting our attention. He's pursuing us. He's saying, I love you. Respond to him. Father, we thank you for this Easter morning. And, and, and thank you just seems like it's not even enough to say for what you've done for us. You have breathed life into us. We get to celebrate life today. And we get to celebrate a love that is a crazy love, that is a love that it has no, and no end. We get to celebrate that love today. And we are so thankful for that on this Easter Sunday. And we are filled with joy in the midst of the backdrop of some pain in our lives. And we love that too. God, keep pursuing us. We will turn our backs. We'll make mistakes. Keep pursuing us, Lord. We pray for that because we want to be on this journey and learn more and more about what this love means for us. And then help us, Lord, to live out that love for a world that needs it too. We are so thankful for this Easter morning that you have truly, truly risen. And our lives have never been the same since then. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.